Of all the guests I've had on the podcast over the last 18 months or so, perhaps today's guest, Flavio Afanito, will be leaving the greatest legacy of them all. Did you know the fashion industry is one of the most polluting in the world, and that every year hundreds of millions of pairs of flip-flops are produced, many of which contribute significantly to ocean plastic pollution? Well, Flavio has come up with a remarkable 100% sustainable solution with flip-flops made entirely from ocean plastics. In this fascinating episode, you will be introduced to a young man who, along with his colleagues at New Oceans, is dedicating his life to cleaning the ocean and our beaches one pair at a time. Plus, Flavio will be giving away 10 pairs of their amazingly cool recycled flip-flops. Just listen to the end to find out how you can be among the very first to claim your own pair. It's really dead easy. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy. Before we meet this week's wonderful guest, here's a little something for you. If you're a fan of the show and would like to get involved and support us at Your London Legacy and help us keep producing amazing content just for you, you can get involved over on our Patreon page. We take every penny and we'll reinvest it back into the show. If you want to get involved and get hold of some really cool benefits or have us create your very own London Legacy episode or maybe meet up with us and other London Legacy lovers in London, you can do that too over at www.patreon.com forward slash your London legacy. Okay, let's get on with the show. Well, today I'm delighted to have on the podcast Flavio Affinito. I hope I've got your name correctly pronounced, Flavio. Yes, that's perfect. Yeah, because as I say to all my guests, nearly every single one of them has an unusual spelling or pronunciation of their name. And I like to get it right because we're in London, multicultural place, city, and there's so many different ways to pronounce and say things. And yours is no different, Affinito. What's the origins of that that name? Yes, of course. I think you're right. It's it's nice to respect people with their with their I names. I think so. And um, my name is Italian, so it's it would sound more like Flavio Affinito from an Italian perspective. Oh, you said it so, so much better than that. <laughs> That's lovely. Do but that again. So it's Flavio Affinito. <laughs> Affinito. Which okay. I obviously don't expect from, from English-speaking people. No. So, But, you know, as long as people don't say Flavio and uh, things like that, it's it's okay. Like, okay. And how does that translate literally? I mean, is there an English translation or...? There, there isn't really, actually. No. It's the It does sound like a finito, which if you split, like if you would split my name into, would be something like has finished or is similar to affinita which is affinity, but ah. affinito itself doesn't actually mean anything. Right. Okay. So Flavio wouldn't be like, I don't know, Paul or something in, in English? Or... No, Flavio actually is uh, is a Latin, the, the root Latin root of my first name, Flavio, is actually blonde, is what it translates blonde to. Blonde affinity. Like pale. Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to work out how that would fit into your personality or what you do. <laughs> but uh, Anyway, thank you very much. Uh, we, we digress. Thank you ever so much for uh, agreeing Pleasure. to be on the podcast. It's lovely to be here, if not uh, a little bit later than I anticipated. Tell us where we are, because I, I, we're in the west part of London, which unusually for me, I'm normally in the north or central London or east haven't come over to the west of London all that much. So what is the building we're in? Yeah, so we're in a, in a newish building in West London called Rehearsal Rooms here in North Acton. And I guess it is it is quite unusual. Most people I work with or I meet, it's always always in North London, East London. But I've kind of turned out to become a West London kind of guy simply since university. I moved to London for university. Uh-huh. And, uh, and obviously, when I moved, I moved into South Kensington for Imperial College. Oh, that's right. that's yeah. where it's based. And uh, and from then on, you know, everyone who goes to Imperial moves to Hammersmith or Barons Court or Lily Road, that kind of area. And I lived in Lily Road for a short period oh, of time. Really? <laughs> I did indeed when I was at law school many, many moons ago. 
Exactly. So I know it well. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't too far. I was next to Barron's Court myself uh -huh. during university. And then after that, I moved um, to another campus again in West London, in, uh, actually quite far west into in Ascot, still with Imperial College, but still West London. And when I came back to London and I looked for, for my own place again after university, it just... It was just the area I was used to, the area I know, West London, and I started looking at more affordable places in West London. And that's how you kind of end up looking around Ealing, which is still quite quite lively, quite popular. And when I found this place in North Acton, it was just quite handy. You know, we're close to the tube, it's close to Ealing Broadway as well. So there's and the, the central lines twenty four seven. Yeah, on you're, weekend, you're, I mean so. I came on the uh on the underground northern line then quick jump onto the uh, the Victoria line and then straight through on the on the central line it, and there it was I thought where, where's this building going to be and you come out of North Acton station and there it is huge rehearsal rooms it's a really cool name for a block of uh, apartments yeah. as well and we're sitting in the uh, I don't know like a common lounge it's really nice isn't it yeah exactly on, we have uh, that's the roof quite nice. terrace very very pleasant very nice well enough of this nonsense it's, <laughs> so it's nice to be here and we're here because we connected um a short while ago we'll give him a shout out um to spot a guest i forgot the guy's name who runs it now mark. yes it's mark um, uh, what's his name it'll come mark to shaw. mark shaw thank you mark shaw yes. for the introduction <laughs> it's very very good of you you've got some great guests on there so Flavio has got a, an amazing story. You're only young. You're only young guy. How old are you, Flavio? Yes, I'm uh, recently 24. <laughs> 24. My God, you're so young, but young with big ambitions, big dreams to. I don't want to put save the planet because that's too big a an ideal on it, I suppose. But with big ideas to save the oceans. Yeah, shall I mean we, the, shall we say? the overarching goal is definitely what you mentioned. Yeah. It is saving the planet. But as you mentioned, you know, there's only so much one person can be actually responsible for but all together that is what we are that what, what we're aiming for and i've taken on my specific subset of that which is the ocean specifically plastics and then specifically a type of plastic but yeah that's the that's the end goal is for us all as humanity to have a thriving thriving planet a thriving mm. natural mm. world for everyone so the business you've recently set up is a startup business and it's in its infancy I, i'm guessing How, yeah. it's called new oceans that's n u oceans um tell us about some of the guiding principles behind it and what you're aiming to achieve yeah of or, course. Or first of all tell us what the problems are that, you, that yes, you've established for sure let's, let's start there so why why new oceans exist is to actually tackle a very niche problem that most people aren't aware of i mean i say it's niche because most people aren't aware of but the scale of it is actually pretty enormous when you think about something as simple as flip-flops what you immediately think is something I have I and us and they're those kind of big brands, uh -huh. right? And they're they're the standard model of flip-flops. And they're very cheap to produce, very easy, cost-effective materials. Not Havinas, but most of the brands are actually plastic materials. And when you think about it, most of the world's population actually lives in warm countries, which means that most of the world's population actually wears flip-flops every day and can only afford to wear flip-flops. So every year we have about 3 billion pairs of flip-flops that are produced and sold across the world. I have to confess, I never saw it from that angle, being being a Londoner. You don't get the opportunity yeah. to wear <laughs> flip-flops all that often, except you go in your summer holes. Exactly, but, uh, yeah, So yeah. 3 billion three pairs billion. Of, are, are produced around yep. the world every single year. That's almost half the world's population, to put it in perspective. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who are the biggest producers? Do you know? Well, the biggest producers are Brazil, uh -huh. uh, China, and Vietnam. Right. They're the countries that produce the most amount of flip-flops but there's a whole range of different companies responsible for those orders okay so you've got three billion pairs of flip-flops being produced every single year that's in addition yep. to the 
billions that are already exactly. in, in existence. That's in addition to whatever's already there. And most of these flip-flops, they're not designed to be reused. They're not designed to be recyclable. They're actually extremely hard to do anything with. And that's kind of led to this huge crisis right now that not many people are aware of when a significant amount, 10 to 20, even 30% sometimes of ocean cleanups, plastic cleanups on beaches and so on, it's flip-flops, crocs, shoe soles. The amount of those materials that we find in beach cleans is huge. I mean, there was recently on the BBC, there was a news article about these scientists that went to this completely abandoned island in, uh, in the Indian Ocean. So there was no one there, hadn't been anyone there ever, pretty much. They found 30,000 pieces of plastic. Out of those 30,000 pieces of plastic, 11,000 were flip-flops. And yeah, and it's completely crazy. No so, one's so, doing so anything where, about it. So where are these flip-flops coming from? Can, can, we, can we identify rough sort of hotspots around well, the world? Well, I'm... Not going to point any fingers here because it's kind of hard to say there's specific hotspots where they're coming from. But just if you think about the number of people who wear them and the fact that most of those people live in countries that don't have fully developed waste treatment facilities, most of Africa, a lot of South America, even a significant amount of Asia, the waste treatment facilities are just not there. And those materials, they last for years, for even hundreds of years in some cases. If you don't have anyone to treat them, then they just get stockpiled, landfilled, and especially in Southeast Asia where they have monsoons, landfills kind of stockpile, then you get a monsoon and it washes everything into the river, which just washes it into the ocean and that's it, gone. So this isn't a question of holidaymakers leaving their flip-flops on the beach? I mean, when, when they, I mean there must be an element of that. Yeah, there's definitely some of that, of course, because a lot of people, unfortunately, really see flip-flops as disposable. So they'll just wear a pair, go on holiday, and then they're like, oh, you know, I'll just buy it there, leave it there. It doesn't doesn't really matter. But that's also part of the problem. Yeah. You buy it there, leave it there, and then the people there, they, they just there's nothing they can do with it. So... There's definitely an amount of holidaymakers. I can't put a number on that. Sure. I wouldn't be. I, I would just be <laughs> coming out with a completely fake number here. Yes. But there is there is definitely an element of that. But the mass, vast majority are from people who wear them in their everyday lives, in developing countries, shall we say? And they just they get lost. They go to landfill. They get washed away in storms and typhoons, and they just end up in in the the watercourses and being washed out to sea. Yeah, well, pretty much. I mean, there's also the, the, those, a lot of those people, the people who are poor and who only wear flip-flops, they don't tend to dispose of them quite so easily. They tend to keep them as much as they can. They need them desperately. Yeah, because yeah, they need them. It's, yeah. not, it's not so cheap for them. So they will keep them as much as they can. But eventually, yeah, eventually what you just mentioned happens and compounded with the effect of holiday makers that just kind of use them as disposable items, then it just, it just makes it worse and worse. And a lot of people, you know, they go to the beach wearing their flip-flops, they sit by the, by the side of the water, the water, the um, sea comes up and they don't even realize their stuff's getting washed away. Mm. And that's a simple kind of thing to avoid, but that yeah. also, that also happens. Yeah. No, I, I can remember plenty of incidents when I was a kid or even recently when you, you take your flip-flops off by the by the waterside, you're going for a swim and the tides come in and the next thing you're looking around <laughs> for your flip-flops, where the hell are they? And you're chasing around trying to find out where they've gone. You think, oh, there's another pair gone. <laughs> so you, you go and buy another pair. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, small, relatively small incidents because you're saying, I mean, if there's 12 million tons of plastic enter the ocean annually and you're saying a significant proportion of that are flip-flops. Yep. How did you come up by that um, that data? Well, how did I come about that data? Actually, um, so from a very young age, I was always passionate about marine biology, the marine environment, and specifically, I wanted to go and study marine mammals, so like whales, dolphins, that kind of stuff. And that's what I did. So that's why I went to university. That's why I got my first research job after university. And 
when I moved into actually an enterprise and looking at a startup and what what we would what we could tackle, my one of my immediate kind of places my heart went where I was where I was attracted to was ocean ocean crisis. So the first thing I looked at was actually coral bleaching and what I can do about that. But I quickly realized there's not there's not so much I can do by myself about coral bleaching. So I looked at other problems like ocean plastic as it was a fairly standard one. And I'd been a lot to South well not a lot to Southeast Asia, but I'd been to Southeast Asia a few times. I'd been to Africa a few times and I'd seen firsthand what some of that pollution was like and I knew what kind of stuff you find when you go when you go pick up. And I knew flip-flops, I'd never pur- purposefully like counted how many there were, but I knew there's something you find quite often. It's it's not it's not a rare item to find. And when we were looking at, okay, what's being done right now by others on in terms of fighting plastic pollution, because what can we add to the table? We don't just want to copy someone else and try and do better. We want to add something to the table. And when we were looking at what can we add to the table, we looked at subsets of plastic pollution. And then the idea of flip-flops just kind of came up. I don't remember why, how, or when, but it just came up to my mind. I was like, wait a minute. What about flip-flops? Were you just what? having a brainstorming session exactly, with your, with your much. friend? Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. When we began this whole New Oceans uh, startup, there was no New Oceans. It was just, we're going to create a startup that does something meaningful, impactful. And the first week of that was us sitting in my, essentially in my mom's living room, just brainstorming ideas, throwing stuff at each other. I mean, some of them, those ideas were ridiculous. Just thinking Yo, back what, to What them, other ones did you have? I know, <laughs> one of the things, we tried to design this like shopping, reusable shopping bag that would allow you to separate everything that you buy so that you don't need, you need to buy it zero waste at the same time. And it, and it was just, it was a ridiculous thing. Or trying to have like, a coffee cup takeaway bottle, like reusable bottle coffee cup in one item. And it was just, <laughs> I think, I think some there's, of these there's, ideas there's lots of people just, out there trying to redesign these sort of bags and cups. Ideas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we, we gave that up, but we, so the, the flip-flop idea just, it just came up and I was just thinking, oh, what, what about that? And then we looked at what can be done. Can they be recycled and so on? And quite quickly, we just went out asking to people. We looked at, you know, all the contacts we had on Facebook and in our lives and whatever. And we went to speak to about four to 600 people. And we asked them, you know, what do you think of this idea? Is this something that sounds interesting to you? Would you back something like that? Do you have any advice, any tips? And we got really, really good feedback on the flip-flop idea. People were saying, yeah, that's a really cool idea. And if you designed it this way, did that, did this, we would definitely back that. So we thought, okay, there's a lot of support for this and we're pretty keen on it. And it's this pretty good idea. So that's how we went with it. That's how we came up with it. That's how we went with it. And in the six months that followed that is when we discovered why no one does anything about it is because it's not so easy. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the biggest obstacle to, I mean, so, so what is the, what is the aim of your project or business? Well, the aim of the project really, I'd say the flip-flops is, is where we're starting right now. It's where we're, it's what we're dealing with. It's what we're, we're fighting against, but we really, we want to be more than just a sandal company. We're not, we're not interested in just being known for creating sandals. What well, really our vision in, in the future is to actually empower and inspire people towards a thriving natural world, right? This is what we want to contribute to. This is what we want to create. So we're starting with this because it's something someone needs to do something about and it's something we can do something about and we can make a name for ourselves before we build on to other things. But you know, a big, a big aspect of what we want to do in the future is actually to do with education and um, teaching not only young children here, but also young children over in the countries where we get the waste from sure. so that they know what's going on and to be able to support those more cleanup programs, more education programs, and really make sure that the problem gets tackled where it's coming from. Because we do realize that 
there's only so much we can pick up. We need to stop dumping if we're going to end this. So that's that's yes, the you've real. Yes, you've got to break the cycle, haven't you, yeah, to exactly. make any meaningful impact. Yeah. So what does it what does it actually look like? The process in terms of recycling. Well, the process right now, actually, when we started, we thought, oh, it's fine. We'll just pick up the plastics. We'll tell them apart. We'll recycle the ones that recycle in this way, the other ones in that way, and it'll be fine. And uh, we quickly realized it wasn't going to work that way because we we got a bunch of materials we went to pick some up we we sent them to a bunch of recycling facilities in in europe we spoke to people in the us we tested the materials ourselves here at imperial and in other places and there's quite a few problems that came up the first one being they're really hard to tell apart so people who pick up flip-flops they're not going to know if it's plastic type one plastic type two rubber plastic type three and rubber because they've all got to be sorted into different yeah, grades exactly. of plastic if yeah. you were to recycle them in the traditional sense you need to you need to know exactly what you're working with and even with machines it was really hard to do that so let alone with people and we didn't want that because we wanted to make sure that we could pick everything up we didn't want to be selecting specifically only Havina's flip-flops for instance so that was the first challenge that we needed to make sure we could use everything. And the second challenge was to figure out, is the stuff, the material we have, even recyclable, even by itself? And it turns out that to make them cheaper and more durable and lighter, flip-flops in general, there's a bunch of chemical processes that make them unrecyclable. So they are purposefully made to be cheaper, lighter, more durable, and, and, unrecyclable. and unrecyclable. So we can't. We can't recycle them in the traditional sense because, you know, when you think recycling, you think you pick, take a bottle, melt it down, and then you chop it up in little bits and you start again. You can't do that. Flip-flops will burn. They won't. They just won't melt down. So there's a few different things. There was that, the actual process of, of reusing the materials. Then there was the challenge of where do we make the sandals that we're creating because obviously the waste is coming from Southeast Asia. But we also realized that we want to be selling them here in Europe and North America probably in the future, but definitely in Europe because that's where the com the conversation is is coming, and that's also where we can we can afford essentially to sell over here because we can't compete with cheap made in China companies over in in Asia because they're going to be selling flip flops for like two dollars. That's that's not not something we can do. So there was there was that, and then thinking where are we going to make them, and then the th the final challenge was we're picking up waste, we're making sandals, but we need to make sure that whatever we make isn't going to end up right back where we picked it up. Absolutely. And that's something that came up way at the beginning. Yeah. I was like, okay, how do we make sure that whatever we pick up... Because you just be, you could, in theory, be just exacerbating the problem. Yeah, or just, yeah, just doing nothing better. <laughs> just going around in least. a circle. Yeah, going around. Yeah, in so, a... exactly. So, we had to think of a way of making sure those the sandals we were making were comfortable because we want to make sure they're as at least as good as what you'll find out there, mm. that they were going to be durable, so they'll last at least as long as whatever you'll find out there. And that they were going to be essentially what we call circular, so that you can reuse our sandals to make new pairs of sandals. Got it. So that's why we really had to focus on materials that were going to be recycled and natural, and that we're going to be able to disassemble the sandal once we've built it, built it, and once it's worn out, so that we can disassemble it and rinse and repeat the process of making a new sandal. Which is also why we settled with doing everything in Europe, because we thought if we bring it all here, then we can take it back here once it's at the end of the life cycle. So let's say I, you buy a pair of sandals from me, three years later, <laughs> it's just, you're tired of it, or you've, you've scraped it somewhere and it's a bit damaged. You'll be like, oh, I don't want it anymore. Can I return it? And we'll take it back and we'll obviously give you a discount on whatever next pair you feel like you want to get for yourself. So that's that was the plan to really be 
like fully responsible and in order to be fully responsible to reuse these materials and keep our footprint as low as possible there are all these challenges we had to take into yeah, account it's way more complicated than it seems when you initially come up with the concept as things always inevitably yes. are these are one of life's challenges a <laughs> couple of thoughts that come to mind what do the present manufacturers of flip-flops do they have any thought on changing their manufacturing processes to to make them more recyclable well, we found actually um, there's other people who have started thinking like us and mm -hmm. trying to find other either either reuse materials that are already out there, but mostly it's come up with new materials that aren't as detrimental as what's currently being used. So a lot of other companies are looking at what new materials can we replace what we're using with. Very few actually trying to deal with what they've already created. But there are some some companies that are looking, especially one that comes to mind is Ipanema, because they make their, their flip-flops over in Brazil as well. They make them with PVC. And what they've come up with is to make sure that when they, essentially when they cut the sole out of their PVC sheets, the offcuts, so the waste, yeah. they actually reuse. Reuse. Because a lot of companies until now, any offcuts, just, chuck just them away. chucked it away. And there must be millions of tons it. worth of waste, yep. offcuts. A lot of offcuts as yeah. well. That's another huge problem. And because of the process we're using, we can make sure we don't have throwaway offcuts as mm -hmm. well. So there's that. And the other question I wanted to ask you at this point was, going back to the beginning of your process, how on earth do you A, determine where you're going to collect from, and B, how do you do it? What's the process? I mean, there's only three or four of you in the team. So yeah. you, how, how many outreach workers do you have sort of helping you in this pro project? Yeah, well, when we began, it was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. So first step, how do we collect flip-flops in Europe? That yeah. was our first step. I, I can't you know, see just going around we... with a little bin bag, a plastic bin bag, <laughs> and uh, some rubbish litter picker of things. Yeah, so, <laughs> so that's what we, initially, we had no idea, exactly. We just knew it was a problem, something needed to do, be done, and well, okay, how do we find them in Europe? So we started digging around here in, in France, Belgium, Italy, Spain, wherever you can, for, um, for companies that were already picking up waste. And what we found out is that there's just, flip-flops over here, you don't really find them. And the waste management's in Europe are already so automated that a lot of the stuff either gets incinerated before you even have access to it, or it's just not found here because mm. we don't we don't waste uh, the same kind of materials. So it was not possible to be done in Europe, really. We weren't going to find the amount of waste we were looking for over here in Europe. But everything we did was essentially from speaking to people who were already doing it. Like we didn't, we spoke to uh, Waste Free Oceans. It's an NGO based in Belgium that works all across Europe. We spoke to everyone we could find, and um, and then that was you know the first step when we realized okay we we're not going to be able to find our waste in Europe. So where do we go next? And kind of by chance, one of the posts I made at the beginning on LinkedIn about what we were creating, the, this idea that we had, one of the people who liked the posts, because, you know, a bunch of people like the posts on LinkedIn, so I thought, I'll go check out who these people are, because I didn't know all of them. And one of them was this woman that I'd never heard of, who was working at this, it said she was founder of Ministry of Waste, which I was like, okay, I've never heard of that either. Interesting name. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I clicked on it. I was like, oh, who is she? Why did she like our post? What is she up to? And it turned out it's now one of our closest collaborators and really just a good friend at this stage because she was there way at the beginning for with us. And she was also on her own startup journey in a way, working with managing waste on a small island just outside of Bali. And she said, you know, this is what I'm doing. And I'm, I find plenty of flip-flops and I don't know what to do with them because they're just not part of the waste I, I would treat. So um, yeah, do, what, what do you guys think? So we started having a chat with her and that's when we thought, okay, Indonesia, maybe that's where it's at. There's a lot, there seems to be a lot of, a lot of waste coming out of Indonesia and it made sense to us because we also knew about the situation. 
So one of the early things we did was actually go to Indonesia, go to spend a bit of time with her, figure out what she was doing. And when we were there, we just met we just met more people. She introduced us to other people in Indonesia who were working on on waste management and people in Jakarta, people in, in East Java and so on. And that just started creating a better idea of what was going on. And we started meeting a lot of NGOs locally who do a lot of beach cleans because Bali is actually quite progressive in, uh, in itself. And Indonesia in general has got a lot of work towards waste management. And we just met. We just met a lot of people. We met, we spoke, we chatted, and we realized that all of the NGOs we were speaking to they were more than happy to give us their flip-flops. They didn't know what to do with them. So they said, oh, if you guys have something you can do with them, they're what, yours. What have they been doing? Much. Just pushing them to landfill? Putting them in a landfill. Yeah, yeah there's, there's nothing. That, yeah. It's not their fault. You know, there's mm, nothing they can not. do with them. Yeah. So when we said we'll take them, they said, oh, yeah, sure. And, uh, and that's how we began, started sorting that out. And through a bunch of other calls, we spoke to another, another lady of an NGO in Bali. And she said, oh, have you spoken to Professor in, uh, in Thailand? And we we're like, no, we haven't. Who, who is he? She was like, oh, yeah, he's also got ideas about how to work flip-flops and so on. So we reached out to this professor in Thailand. And that's when we realized he was already essentially where, pretty much where we wanted to be. And so we chatted with him and we realized we could collaborate with him to go even faster in the reprocessing of the materials. And so that's why right now we work mostly out of Thailand with still connections and plans to work out of Indonesia. But because we're so early stage, there's just there's only so much we can do with our with our available resources. And there's just already so much waste in Thailand that we're dealing with that there essentially because we also just have a contact there who's working with us and that's that's how we ended up with our supply that's incredible you, you, you've obviously heard the expression i guess you've heard the expression six degrees of separation you know you're only six yeah. people away from the someone you know you want to get get to i mean with social media and things like linkedin it's like yes. one or two now isn't it i mean linkedin has been that instrumental. is the perfect yeah model of what social media should be all about i mean linkedin is yeah. a phenomenal uh tool if you if used properly yeah, LinkedIn is is just what I love about it is that you get straight to the person. You can you don't have to go through a PA or or a secretary or whatever. Yeah, you you can reach out to that person, and be like, hey, this is what I'm doing. I've perfected the art of 150 character messages <laughs> 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 because you have 150 characters to get that person interested in what you're doing. And it's just you know you reach out to them. You're like, this is what I'm up to. Will you connect with me? And more often than not, people are more than happy to connect. And then you know you're talking to that person straight away. And if there's somewhere to go together, you do. And if there isn't, there isn't. But it's just made life a lot easier, for mm. sure. So you're starting, your focus is in um, Thailand, I think. Yeah, right now, yeah. Right now. So how many tons of plastic flip-flops do you need to create, I don't know, X hundred new well, pairs right of, now, of your re-read? Re yeah, right um, now we've got about seven tons just sitting around waiting for in us this to, to process them well no we haven't brought them all over yet okay. but we do we we have we have about seven tons in thailand right now here we have about 300 kilos so we're <laughs> quite yeah. some way away from yes. seven tons but with seven tons we can make about about fourteen thousand pairs and what are the rules and regulations about bringing perceived plastic waste back into the country for recycling well the funny thing is that because it's not got any value and it's not toxic then it's actually quite simple to bring in. So we just, there's, just there's importing, not, yeah. We just like you would any other report clothes, it as as plastic materials for manufacture. Yeah, and it's just it's just a very cheap, valueless, essentially manufacturing good. Uh huh. And, and once they once you brought back, so a, a pair of flip flops. 
I mean, you brought some samples here, and they are very unusual. I've not seen anything <laughs> like these on the high street. They and the, these are in the um, formative stages. These, exactly. These are yeah, prototypes. they're prototypes. They're prototypes. So, what, typically, what, what do they comprise? Well, the way the way we've designed them essentially is we've designed a multi-layered kind of sandal, which allowed us to add a few more materials to the waste we're using, whilst keeping a maximum amount of the plastic waste. So we've got essentially this middle layer that you can see if you look at one of our uh, one of our sandals. You have a middle layer that's speckled and multicolored, mm. and that speckled multicolored layer is all old flip-flops mm. that we've collected. That's all where all the waste is coming from. And then you've got obviously the straps that you find on any any sort of sandals or flip-flops. And those straps are also ocean plastic waste. They're just a different type of plastic. They're essentially coming from bottles, nets, that kind of stuff. Okay. So you're so, combining two forms of waste. They're not just the flip-flops. Exactly, exactly. We're also using some some mostly nets actually is what the what the straps are made of. Mm. And then we've we've uh, incorporated a rubber outsole. So that's what you know, what's in contact with the ground, just because the rubber you can get recycled and natural rubber. So those materials are actually as eco-friendly as we can get them and they just add a bit of durability and grip so that's to the recycled sandal. as well the sole yeah the yeah, sole as the, well so the whole product is completely recycled yeah and then then we've also added a final layer on top which adds just a bit of comfort a bit of softness to mm. the to the sole and that's made with um actually invasive species of algae so it's made in wow. Spain. Yeah, what it's made in Spain. Well, <laughs> essentially, you know, climate change, global yes. warming, the sea gets hotter and mm. more acid. And when the sea gets hot and acid, you end up with these algal blooms. So you just get tons of algae that covers the surface and kills everything underneath. And those algae tend to be invasive because they come from warmer waters. And they have a big problem with that in Spain right now. And one company that we work with actually, through its own trials and prototypes and so on, came up with a bioplastic that's made out of that algae. And we came across it and we thought, wait a minute, that's actually pretty cool. That's also ocean, it's not ocean plastic waste, but it's also ocean waste. It's mm. also something that's detrimental to ocean life. And that's what we're trialing right now, that new material that we're gonna put on top as a final top layer in, uh, in our sandal. Mm. I feel a bit like uh, a dragon on Dragon's Den here. I haven't got millions of pounds to give you. I wish I, wish I did, because it's a very noble uh, and excellent um, program you've got going here. But what, what do you anticipate the sort of selling at retail? Well, right now, aiming to design them in a way that they look like a proper sandal, right? Uh -huh. They're not, they're not going to be a cheap kind of regular, low cheap class flip-flop. Yeah. So we're, we're making sandals, which we aim to sell about around 40, 40 pounds. 40 pounds? Yeah. Okay. And are you intending to give back a proportion of that to cleaning up the oceans or is that just going to be recycled <laughs> into into the business to keep on you know well doing a what portion doing? of it does go to cleaning up the ocean because we have to pay the people who pick up the waste right. for us and all that kind of stuff uh -huh. so we've already by default we've got a part that goes to cleaning up the oceans but to answer specifically that question i think one thing we've we're actually building on once these sandals start going out and people start being interested is we actually met a, uh, an author, a children's book author, who, uh, who discovered our project and she was quite quite interesting by it, quite thought it was a really cool idea. Feel, feel free to throw her name out there. Yeah, it's uh, Claire Morin. She's, she's French, but she lives here in London How's as well. How's that spelled? So Claire is C-L-A-I-R-E. Uh, -E. Yeah. <laughs> and Morin is M-A-U-R-I-N. Okay. And uh, so she writes books for children, essentially. Uh, mostly in French, but also in English. And 
she just loved the story of what we're up to. And, you know, one day we were chatting, we were joking, and I said something along the lines of, what if we had the story of Floppy the flip-flop, right? And she thought, wait, that's actually a pretty cool idea. We could we could do something with that. And so she's written already for us a, uh, a short story book that essentially uses our project, our story, to have a really colorful and upbeat little children's tale, essentially, mm-hmm. a children's story about what they can do. A very, very limited amount about what the situation is, because that's not the point of the book. The point is really to get them excited about what they can do, what they can achieve. And that book has been written using our our story as an example. And we intend to release that as part of New Oceans in probably in the first year of, of our retail. And that book, all profits are just going to be spent on other beach cleans, education programs. That entire thing is not for profit. Fantastic. The entire branch of the book branch of New Oceans is not yeah, not fantastic. Profit. As you mentioned off air before we started, you're looking to I- expand your project into educational yeah. advice going out there. W- would that be into schools? In because obviously, it's, in many instances, it's the parents who will go and buy these products. Yeah. So maybe you need to tell the parents, educate the parents as much as the kids of the young generation. As yeah, well. I think a bit a big thing that we're kind of seeing and we're hoping and expecting to work is the fact that. You know, children, children, they're really, you can see it right now. There's, there's Fridays for Future marches and that kind of stuff. Mm. They're, they're connected to, to yes. the situation and they're passionate about it because they're still young and they want to do something about what's going on in the environment. And that's why we do intend, as you mentioned, to start looking at schools first, because that's where you can get children to be exposed to the book and be excited about it and then bring it to the parents and parents start seeing what this is about and then they can make a conscious choice or not to support our company or to just change their habits because the book will also tell children what else there is to do right it's not just about flip-flops it's what else they can do for for the the environment so we intend to have in the future again you know a website with a youtube channel with everything that will get these children excited about what else they can do and uh and we definitely want to be using schools as the first kind of getting it in front of children, but also any sort of bookshop that shares values like ours is some some place where we want to have that book. And it's not a book we're going to be selling for tens of pounds. It's something that we're aiming to keep towards, it's got to be accessible, towards hasn't it? seven yeah. to ten pounds maximum yeah. is where, yeah. we're, where we're wanting to sell no, it. That's fantastic. And that book is actually also made out of waste materials. Oh, brilliant. And it's completely recyclable and waterproof and everything. Ah, it's not in the shape of a flip-flop, is no, it? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a cool idea. Not not very useful, but a cool idea. In terms of funding the business, I mean, it's a, it's a relative startup. I mean, yeah. when did the business actually start? So we incorporated in July 2018. So almost two years ago. And how's it been funded so far? A lot of it has been self-funded. A right. lot of it we've, uh, well, we were lucky enough that actually we came out of university, all three of us who worked together, we came out of university with actually a fair amount of savings because we worked during our studies and we didn't do anything too crazy. So we had a, a fair amount of savings we used so far to to fund a lot of what we've done. And we've actually spent very little money on the company. We've been resourceful Mm. we've got a lot of support for free we got a lot of things done with people we met here in london and so on so a lot of things have happened with very little investment and the truth is right now we are coming to a point where we do need proper investment Mm. because as i mentioned you know we're finishing product development and uh, we're looking at launching on the market and so on and we do need an inflow of of cash now so that we can deliver on all these all these plans so right now we're looking for we've applied to grants from the uk government because of what we're doing and uh, also from from the deutsche bank they have a grant for creative entrepreneurs and right now we're speaking to and looking to speak to any people with 
investor mindset. So we invest angel investors essentially is what we're looking yes, at. Those kind of people. Seed money to sort of help Pretty you launch. Much, yeah. yeah, some seed money so that we can launch. And I mean, have you considered crowdfunding? We have, we have actually. Yeah, we were looking at crowdfunding, but the truth is. Uh, we do still require a bit of seed money. And we've spoken to crowdfunding experts and they've all told us this is a great idea. This is a great project for you to do that. But the truth is about crowdfunding, you can't just put it out there and wait for it to grow. You have to build up the momentum for people to be excited, know about it, and then pledge. So we do intend to run a crowdfunding, but it's something that we plan to do at the end of the year to be able to, well, at the end of the summer, not the end of the year, mm. to be able to have the summer period for us to start going out there, showing people what we've done and actually start to sell a few pairs for probably a discounted price just so people know we're coming. So people need to probably see it's like a viable project before they start exactly. putting their hand in their exactly. pocket and giving their, their few quid or whatever it is. They want to see that you've got a little bit of substance behind yeah. you. Yeah, pretty much. They, 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 we also want to prove to people that we can deliver. They're not just putting their money hoping they're going to get something. Like mm. there's, there's, There needs to be us getting in, in touch with the people we expect to support us as well. Mm. I mean, I do feel, it, it feels like one of those projects that once you get a bit of traction and you get some interest, it could really scale you know, fairly rapidly. Yeah, that's also kind of what we're hoping for right now. So if anyone's got any contacts, <laughs> experience, expertise or something that could support us with that, we're always open. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, feel free to give your contact details in a minute. But just, just before, I mean, you said your background was in ecology was it ecology you studied ecology yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and then you that wasn't in london you didn't study in london or you did i originally. did actually so i was um so i was in belgium uh for most of my school school years and when i finished school in belgium i did the european baccalaureate in brussels i looked at where i was going to go for university and the uk just made sense for me because i was looking to go to one of the good universities of europe and obviously the uk is where it's at for top european universities and I was looking actually to go to um, St. Andrews to do marine biology because that's what I was passionate about. St. Andrews is one of the best universities as far as marine mammal science goes, that kind of stuff. But to make my parents happy, because I told them I wasn't going to apply to Cambridge because I didn't like the mentality. I went to the open days and I mean, maybe I shot myself in the foot there. I don't know, but I didn't enjoy the open days. So I thought I'm not going to apply to this university. And, uh, but to make them happy, I applied to Imperial because I thought, you know, it's kind of, it's not far uh, off. Middle ground. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's still, it's a really good university yeah. is the honest truth. So I applied there thinking I'm probably not going to get it. I'll get St. Andrews and it's fine. But I did get the offer from Imperial College and, um, I just felt like it's not something I could turn down. Like you don't, you just don't turn down a university like Imperial College is what I felt. So so I took it. And that's why I did bi straight biology, came to London, spent three years in London just studying just biology with an element of ecology because that's kind of the modules I took. But at the end of Imperial College, same thing. I was looking, oh, I'll go, I'll go to St. Andrews now, go do my master's in St. Andrews. But I just thought, you know, I'll I'll just in case I don't get the St. Andrews master's, I'll apply to a master's here at Imperial, which was, again, a very good master's in ecology, but a lot of statistical analysis, so a lot of analytics in ecology, which is high employability from a good university, all that kind of stuff. And I actually got the offer from Imperial, again, way quicker than I expected before I even finished the application, at which point I thought, do I take this and be safe or do I wait for St. Andrews? And I just took the Imperial offer, so I stayed. And uh, that's why I meant I wasn't in central London anymore because that was the campus in, in Ascot. But for all intents and purposes, I did live in London for 
pretty much four years, four years then. The first time I spent the summer in the UK was that year during right. my master's. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was an experience. <laughs> how, how, did, how did you find that living in London? <laughs> living in London, I loved it. Yeah. yeah, the summer, not so much. <laughs> no, no, it can get a bit hot and sweaty, especially on the underground. So um, what are your plans? What, what's the next step in the process? Where do you go from here where you're at right now? Well, the next steps is, uh, as I mentioned, finishing the product development. So yes. we really have essentially a, a very nice looking, very pretty sandal that mm. we can we can get people excited about. And from there is to start getting out in front of people, getting people to know we exist, getting people to be interested in what we're doing. And we're looking to probably go to um, events like Boardmasters, which is essentially a surf festival over in Cornwall and um, the Falmouth uh, Falmer Sailing Week. So it's another kind of water sports based um, mm. festival. So just to get people to know we're around, get people to know we exist and kind of build some momentum throughout the summer, start producing some pairs that we can start selling to people for a discounted price or whatever, so that they also get to know what we're doing and really just work our way up until the end of the summer where we would then be launching our crowdfunding to actually get enough money that we can produce a big batch of pairs. So the next few steps we're looking at is funding so that we can do that this summer mm. so that we can pay our own bills and um, essentially promote what we've done and get in front of people and produce a first set of testable products and uh, before working our way to our launch at the end of the year and then really start hitting the market running from mm. next year. And I'm guessing you'll have... Um this would be sold through an online sort of web shop or something. Yeah, we yeah. intend actually to do, we intend to do um, pop-up stores as much as we can because we think pop-up stores are a pretty cool way of doing things. Yeah. It's, you know, it's limited time, limited offer and gets us to go to a few different places mm-hmm. we don't necessarily know and uh, allows us to actually connect with the people because, you know, online we don't, we don't know who our clients yeah. are. And obviously, as you mentioned, online. So we do probably, we're looking to mostly to be doing sales directly via Instagram. Our website will also have a portal on which you can purchase the sandals, but we're likely to do a lot via Instagram directly. Yeah, because there's a potentially a vi- there's a viral feel to the product. There and, is, there is, and yeah. the concept exactly, um, which is great. In your travels around the world and Southeast Asia and Thailand, give us a flavour of some of the things you've seen, some of the terrible things you've seen in terms of plastic pollution. Yeah, sure. I mean. And flip-flop pollution, for that matter. <laughs> I love those countries. The honest truth is I really... Uh, South Africa is one of the favorite favorite places I've ever been to. It's really a really beautiful country. And uh, same thing with Indonesia. It's splendid. And um, the only the only really sad thing that I've seen is... Because um, I'm not... I don't tend to get package holidays and go to these big hotels and that kind of stuff. I'm uh, too cheap for that. <laughs> and, <laughs> too uh, interesting, you mean? <laughs> yeah, no, and I quite like you know I quite I like speaking to people. I yes. like getting a bit more of a of a down to earth feel sure. to to a, a country, and um, so that means I tend to not go to private beaches, private hotels, beach clubs, all that kind of stuff. I tend to go to guest houses or hostels or whatever, which means I go. A lot of the time, especially in Indonesia, you've got these these areas which are the very famous ones like Nusa Dua in Bali or Kuta, where you get a lot of people that go. And because so many people go, in the morning you get the tractors that come and just clean the beach. So they just mm. remove everything. So, so they, before, they don't see the real world. Exactly. Before yeah. the tourists even arrive, it's clean. It's yeah. gone. Yeah. And then you have these other like really what you would expect to be these untouched, beautiful, natural kind of alcoves, coves, bays. And you go there hoping to see that. And you do see that. The alcove is beautiful. But then you actually go down onto the beach, you walk around, and there's just 
there's just wrappers. There's crab. There's like there's there's more plastic than crabs or or, or uh, what are they called? The little little guys that walk with a shell. Oh, the uh, little the terrapins hermit, or tortoises, hermit. Uh, yeah, hermit they're crabs. like hermit yeah, crabs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then you see, you see them. One of <laughs> one of them I saw when we were picking up waste. There was one running on a on a flip flop, <laughs> which I thought <laughs> so ironic. Considering so this, so that's this what is I'm waste that's washed up onto the shoreline rather than people have a left lot it of there, it. Yeah, these are remote. Beaches, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of it is, and because it's been washed up by being thrown in other places and washed up there, and no one actually goes there, then it just amasses, and there's and there's a lot of it. And you know, it's quite often that you find uh, you find dead animals as well. You do you do find dead animals. I found a uh, in Brazil. I found a turtle. Found a turtle. Uh, just it was pretty big as well. So uh, that was quite quite infuriating. I was genuinely pissed off when I found that turtle there. Uh, fish is really common. You find yeah, you find fish. Deeply sounding. There was um, on Instagram. There was a post the other day. I came across of so I, I think it was somewhere in Southeast Asia. A couple of locals found a dead fish hmm. on the shoreline. They cut it open with a knife, and this, this stomach lining yes. was absolutely packed full of must have been a hundred different pieces of plastic. Yeah, not not one piece, but hundreds of different pieces of plastic from all different sort of sources. And it's just absolutely mind-boggling. It's it's crazy. I mean, there's the statistics saying 95% of birds have plastic in their stomach because yeah. they've eaten it. Then like every other, well, not every other week, but on a monthly basis, you'll hear reports of a beached whale. And when they open it up, it's full of plastic because mm. it's just, they can't digest it. I mean, mm. if you were eating your wrappers every time you ate a sandwich, uh, you'd be full pretty quickly. And well, it wasn't that long ago. We were brushing our teeth with these little beads, these little micro beads to yeah. pol polish the teeth. Yeah, I mean, the honest truth is, even if you don't brush your teeth with anything <laughs> fancy, nowadays you find traces of what we call phthalates, which are essentially pl plastic adhesives yes. in all humans. Yeah, They're just there everywhere. Yeah, it's very scary. And I think there was also in a documentary recently, they found micro particles of plastics in the ocean floor in the Arctic somewhere, which yep. in an area that's never been even been discovered before. It's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's absolutely staggering. So you're doing a fantastic job. I'm really impressed Thank with you. the work you're doing at New Oceans. Give a shout out to the, your, your other colleagues who are on the project with you. Yes. So I've got Terry, who was there all the way at the beginning in my mum's living room with me. Uh, he's been my best friend for quite a while now. He's uh, born and raised in the UK, originally from Hong Kong. And uh, he was the he was the entrepreneur at the beginning. I had no interest in in launching a business, and he's the one who said, "Flavio, come back to London. Let's do something together. You know, you want to. You don't just want to be working in a lab by yourself." And uh, yeah, I mean, we've known each other since we began university, and uh, and it's it's been it's been a hell of a ride. But we've been really good friends since then, and we actually still live together now, live and work together. Excellent. So yeah. just around the corner from where yeah, we're exactly. sitting. Yeah, exactly. Just around the corner here. And then we've got uh, we've got Adrien, who is the second and third full-time member of our team. Mm -hmm. So him and I have been friends uh, for almost as long as I can remember. I think I met him, I was six years old. So it's been a very long time. We went to school together uh -huh. and then our past diverged when I came to London. He stayed in Belgium, but we always stayed in touch and we've always been really good friends. And when I told him, you know, you're a business major, but you also care about the planet and doing something bigger. Why don't you come and check out what we're doing here? And if you want to be part of this, be part of it. Yeah. 
and uh yeah and he took that he took that opportunity he came he spent some time with us and then he was like yeah i'm in so he's full-time and on it, so well, he's he? the three of us the three Fantastic. guys full-time full-time and then we've got our two uh two favorite ladies with us so we've got veronica who's uh also got a very diverse background so her parents are actually from poland but she was born and raised in italy and now she's also in london with us and um she actually supports us with uh she's done a lot of because she's not full-time she gets she gets to see from an outsider perspective the good the bad and sometimes when you know when we get kind of oh we'll cut a corner even though it's not as environmentally it's friendly it's so important to have that yeah. aerial 360 degree view yeah she likes holds yeah. us yeah. holds us to account sometimes Excellent. when i'm thinking oh whatever you know this is this is not 100% recycled but we need to we need to move on now she's like yeah but what's your message what's your vision and we're like okay okay and she also manages our instagram which saves me a lot of time yeah we'll give it's, that detail out in a minute but it's, it's, a, it's a great account to look at visually thank very you. good yeah. thanks and uh, and then ud who's uh, also part-time on this she's our audiovisual audiovisual boss she's actually my cousin <laughs> so uh, <laughs> keep it in the family yeah exactly she's based in paris but she works for she works for a big tv tv uh, channel over in paris and uh yeah she's just amazing she's edited our videos and so on she came she she like dropped a week to come with us to bali to see to see what the situation was and uh yeah so she she supports us with that yeah. as well well you're doing all of you you're doing a fantastic job and this podcast is all about people in london leaving a london legacy your legacy is going to be far wider than london we're going to claim ownership of it <laughs> being here in london but it's going to hopefully stretch around the world and be of benefit to future generations so you're doing a fantastic job thank you uh, and it's been a pleasure to uh, have you on the podcast today thanks thank you steve well once again we're at the point in our conversation with our guest today flavio Affinito. I still haven't said it pro properly. I'm, no, that's I'm, good. I'm, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> where we ask our guests to tell us one or two places in London, because after all, this is a London-based podcast. One or two places in London that are particularly personal to you and, and, and why you like them. So if you want to tell us what yours are, Flav. Yeah, I think there's one that always, it's always the one where I try to take people who come to London, uh, visit me, because I, I really like it. And I think it's a bit it's a bit different from where people usually visit when they come to London. It's actually a place called the Wallace Collection. It's uh, just behind Marble Arch. And it's essentially a museum, but very approachable in its size because it's a lot smaller than something like the British mm -hmm. Museum. It's got, it's got smaller rooms, but it's just as good. Like the stuff you see in them is really beautiful. And uh, it's really laid out as if someone was living there. I mean, no one in their right mind would have that much collectibles <laughs> yeah. in their living room. But it's just a, it's a really, really beautiful thing to see. And it's covered. So, you know, you're always safe from the rain in London. And uh, I'm a bit of a bit of a history and culture kind of nerd sometimes. So it's, it's a place I quite it, like it, going to. Yeah, it is beautiful. I've not been there for many years, but well, well worth a visit. And I think you've got another one as well, which may be a bit more common. Yes, it's definitely more common. I mean, as a as a West London kind of guy and having lived next to Hyde Park for a long time, there's definitely definitely a soft spot there. But I'd say specifically the southern part of Hyde Park is where I spend most of my time. So from the from the end of the Serpentine all the way on towards Kensington Palace. Yes. That's kind of the area where I'm always walking across there at some point or other. And it just it's just quite nice to get this disconnect because London's really busy, always mm. busy. People are always busy. <laughs> yeah. And it's nice to have this area where you actually feel less busy because you have so much space and you can walk out of the paths. And when you're away from the paths, you actually have a bit of space to yourself. You've got a and bit of an oasis of quiet and calm yeah. and solitude. And a the, bit of green. In the mat and a bit of green. We've got quite <laughs> a lot of green in London. Thank there is, God. there is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. London's very good like that. 
Well, they're fantastic. Two wonderful places. We shall add them to our list of ever-growing places for uh, people to go and check out. But that one's free, so that's a good yes. one. We, we like free. <laughs> they're both free, actually. They're both free. Yeah, yeah of course, yeah. the Wallace is free as well. Yeah. Well, there's a final special treat, an incentive to get involved with uh, New Oceans. Flavio's got a, a special offer he's going to make to you. So take it away, Flavio. What do you, what do you got for us and our listeners? Yes. Well, thank you so much for listening is the first thing. And the next thing, we are obviously quite a little bit of time still away from being on the market. But what I can promise you is that if you want to get in touch either directly with me on my email address or LinkedIn, or if you want to reach out on our social media using the at New Oceans LTD handle, New Oceans with a U again, <laughs> and uh, and Steve's London Legacy handle, then we will do a draw of out of the total number of emails I receive and tags we get on new o- on Instagram, sorry, not New Oceans, <laughs> I will do a draw of uh, 10 pairs as soon as they're available and obviously keep you updated of what's going on. So follow us, tag us, send an email, and you'll keep updated of what we're going on and we'll do a draw of four 10 pairs for the people who tagged us with with steve's amazing podcast fantastic that's absolutely brilliant so that's 10 pairs that flavio is going to be giving away soon after the release of this podcast just to restate you've got to get in touch with flavio you've got to get in touch with him through one of his social medias and you've got to tag at your london legacy as well or make mention of your london legacy so we know you've got the link through uh, through the podcast so that's fantastic we love giving away important things to important um, causes here so new oceans doing good causes now just before we wrap up would you like to give out some contact details for people how they can find you how they can get in touch with you and also your sort of social media handles as well yeah, yeah, of course. I think the probably the best place to to follow New Oceans, the, the startup on social media, is to go directly to our Instagram page. Do you want to give the correct spelling of that? Yes. <laughs> so the handle is at New Oceans LTD. So that is N-U Oceans LTD at the end. And there's only one of us with our little little logo. You'll find us there. So that's if you want to keep up to date with what we're doing and so on. Uh, the best place to stay up to date on our progress on a monthly basis would be to actually join our mailing list over on our website. So if you type newoceans.com, again, nuoceans.com, you'll find our website. You can have a quick scroll over what we're what we're about, what we're doing, and drop drop your email in there and you'll be updated on how we progress throughout the year. And then I'm always available on uh, any kind of platform you prefer. LinkedIn, I'm always active. I will answer. So Flavio Affinito on LinkedIn. That's with two F, two Fs. Sorry, Affinito. And uh, I also have an email address with flavio.affinito at newoceans.com. That's great. And I urge anyone who's got any interest in the future of our oceans and our wildlife to get in touch with Flavio or any of his colleagues or to connect with him and to just make an impact because you're doing good work. Thank so you. much appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, bye. I absolutely love creating your London legacy for you, and the feedback and testimonials are awesome. But as it grows, so it consumes more and more resources. So I've joined forces with Patreon, a really cool place where you can show your love and support from just as little as $2 a month as a silver Londoner, right up to $300 per month where you get the crown jewels. Each level of subscription opens up a host of exclusive extra goodies, events, bonus shows, and sponsorship opportunities only available via via Patreon. I do hope you will continue to support what we're doing here, and I'm so grateful for whatever you feel able to give. 
so please head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your london legacy that's www.patreon.com forward slash your london legacy